Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Iran says in talks with Russia, China over new airports. Iran has begun discussions with both China and Russia over new airports, Ilna, Iranian labor news agency, reported Tuesday, despite existing ones losing money. Managing director of Iran's airports company, Shivash Mermokri, said that after preliminary studies and negotiations, Tehran would begin talks over technical matters including navigation systems. Giving a 20-25 year timescale, Amurmokri said there were no immediate plans for new airports. The semi-official news agency ISNA said in a report November 2016 that only six of Iran's 54 airports were profitable up from three in 2013. The former head of civil aviation organization, Turaj Degani Zangan said in March, 2021 that over 90% of flights were concentrated in only 10 airports, with over half of the traffic at Mirabad Airport, Tehran, and Mashhad International Airport. Internal air travel in Iran is relatively common due to the country's size. Although Iran has long struggled to replenish its aging fleet in the face of international sanctions, the reputation of Russian made Tupolevs, used for many internal flights, dived in the early 2000s with disasters in Iran and elsewhere. The U.S. imposition of maximum pressure sanctions after 2018 derailed deals Iran had agreed with Boeing and Airbus to purchase dozens of planes after international sanctions were lifted following Iran's 2015 Iran nuclear agreement with world powers. Why China and North Korea are watching U.S. response to potential Russian invasion closely for Joe Biden the stakes of a potential Russian invasion of Ukraine are higher than just the future of Eastern Europe. It is the first engagement in what the US president sees as a century-defining global battle between democracy and autocracy. In Beijing, Pyongyang and Tehran they are watching the outcome closely. If Ukraine cannot be saved from Vladimir Putin then they may well conclude there is no longer anything to fear from the once mighty America. The ramifications would be many. Xi Jinping would probably bring forward his timeline for invading Taiwan. Kim Jong-un's UN would doubtless accelerate his missile tests. The Mullahs would start spinning more centrifuges. Autocracies everywhere would be emboldened. According to Mr. Biden's oft-repeated world view, the so-called Biden doctrine history is at an inflection point. Autocratic leaders are convinced their way of governing is in the ascendancy, and that cumbersome democracies are in decline. Mr. Biden says he has talked about this at length with Mr. Eleven. If America fails the Ukraine test then, so the theory goes there will be a new dark era in which any expansionist autocratic regime, from China on down, feels it can take whatever it wants. In Washington, many Republicans agree with Mr. Biden, and are pressing him hard to hold Mr. Putin's feet to the fire. They argue weakness in the face of Russian aggression would ultimately torpedo the US in its greater strategic struggle with China. If Putin is able to move into Ukraine, 
take on a few sanctions and some international condemnation, but ultimately not pay a terrible price, it doesn't just impact Ukraine said Republican Senator Marco Rubio. That becomes the model that China, Iran, and North Korea will follow. They are going to look very carefully at what happens, in Ukraine, to decide when and where they are going to move as well. Imagine a world like that where they, China, can just take over places because they, make semiconductors like Taiwan. That's why this, Ukraine, matters. It matters a lot. Mr. Eleven and Mr. Putin, America's two biggest autocratic bogeymen, will meet on Friday at the opening ceremony of the Beijing Winter Olympics. It will be Mr. Eleven's first in-person tete-a-tete with a fellow head of state for nearly two years. Already, Beijing appears to be lining up strongly with Mr. Putin as they both seek to undermine Western unity. China has warned the US and its allies not to hype up the Ukraine crisis and indicated there is no limit to how far Russian and Chinese friendship may go. Last month, China and Russia held joint naval drills with Iran in the Gulf of Oman. While Russia staged live-fire exercises near the Ukrainian border recently, China flew 39 warplanes toward Taiwan in its biggest provocation so far this year. A Chinese military assault on Taiwan remains a high-risk venture for Mr. Eleven, and experts believe he will not move unless absolutely sure of success. A protracted war, or even worse, defeat, would spell disaster for him. But Mr. Biden's response to a Russian incursion into Ukraine will feature heavily in his calculations. There are also significant differences between Ukraine and Taiwan to be factored in, in terms of their strategic importance for the US. In 2020 Taiwan was America's ninth largest trade partner, while Ukraine ranked only 67th. The United States has been Taiwan's key patron on security and economic issues for the last several decades, and none of those things are true for the relationship with Ukraine said Karis Templeman, a Taiwan expert at Stanford University. Because of that much longer and deeper history, if the US were to give up Taiwan or wash its hands of the situation, that would have a much worse much larger negative impact on U.S. reputation and credibility. The Biden administration has been pouring diplomatic resources into rallying allies to defend Ukraine, and even Republicans have praised Mr. Biden's willingness to send troops to NATO's eastern flank. Should Mr. Putin ultimately back off, then not just Ukraine, but Taiwan, would breathe easier. But in Washington some are concerned that the Ukraine crisis is serving only to distract the US from the greater long-term strategic struggle with China. Americans and our allies need to grapple with the reality said Eldbridge Colby, a former senior Pentagon official in the Trump administration. We don't and won't have a military big enough to increase commitments in Europe and have a chance of restoring our edge in Asia against China. We must prioritize. Boris Johnson's partygate shakeup is already unraveling as top civil servant rejects new No. 10 job. Antonia Romeo, one of the UK's most senior female civil servants, 
has decided not to seek the newly created permanent secretary role in number 10, the Telegraph understands. Downing Street is already facing challenges to fill the position, announced by Boris Johnson as he attempted to draw a line under the Partygate report findings published on Tuesday. There are concerns that permanent secretaries of government departments with tens of thousands of staff will be reluctant to take up the job, which oversees just a few hundred people. It means Mr Johnson's shake-up of his Downing Street operation is facing increasing questions about whether it has gone far enough in the wake of Sue Gray's report on alleged lockdown breaches. The Prime Minister has not named a single individual who will be leaving his inner circle, despite Ms Gray, a civil servant, concluding there were failures of leadership and judgment. Ms Romeo, permanent secretary at the Ministry of Justice, was seen entering Downing Street last month and had been in discussions about the new No 10 role. But given she previously sought the cabinet secretary position, the most senior role in the civil service, Whitehall figures believe Ms Romeo may be holding out for that post. Ms Romeo was believed to have got to the final three for the role when it was vacant last year but was beaten by Simon Case who became the youngest cabinet secretary in history. Reports at the time claimed Carrie Johnson, Mr Johnson's wife, raised objections. Ms Romeo is highly regarded by some in No 10 and could yet become the first female cabinet secretary. Downing Street continues to work on plans to establish an office of the Prime Minister after Ms Gray called for reform in her critical findings about claims of lockdown-busting parties. There is also a new drive for government departments to publish policies on the approach to drinking alcohol expected of employees. Tory MPs and grandees are publicly and privately questioning whether the reforms of Downing Street go far enough to move on from Partygate. Lord Haig, the former Tory leader, argued that Mr Johnson had done the bare minimum when he outlined plans to the House of Commons on Monday for change. Mr Johnson has told MPs that Sir Linton Crosby, the Australian political strategist who helped secure two London mayoral victories and the 2019 election win, will give more advice than before in the coming months. He has also vowed to make sure the No 10 political operation engages more with Tory backbenchers. Tonga goes into lockdown after tsunami aid brings COVID-19. The Pacific nation of Tonga has gone into lockdown following the discovery of two coronavirus infections in the community. The two cases are local port workers who had been helping to distribute aid received after a volcanic eruption and tsunami last month. The disaster polluted drinking water, severed communications, killed three people, and left dozens homeless. Australia, New Zealand, Japan, the UK, and China all offered to deliver aid but steps were put in place to try to make sure they did not also bring COVID-19. Tonga had previously reported just one case of the virus, a missionary returning from Africa via New Zealand in October. Arrivals are usually required to spend three weeks in quarantine. 
the country's delivering aid promised to bring fresh water and medicines without coming into contact with Tongans on the ground. But dozens of sailors on Australian aid ship HMAS Adelaide became infected, as did crew on flights from Japan and Australia. The two positive Tongan cases were revealed after 50 frontline workers at the port were tested, according to news website Meitanjai Tonga. The lockdown began on Wednesday evening, Wednesday morning UK time, and its duration has not been confirmed. Health officials are expected to update the situation every two days. Tonga and other small Pacific nations such as Kiribati and the Solomon Islands were among the last countries to see COVID-19, thanks to their remoteness and strict border controls. According to Our World in Data, about 61% of Tongans are fully vaccinated. Senior Russian diplomat, we don't trust British diplomacy, it's absolutely worthless. As Boris Johnson prepares to speak with Russian President Vladimir Putin in an effort to cool tensions over Ukraine, one of Russia's top diplomats says he doesn't trust British diplomacy. Russia's deputy UN ambassador, Dmitry Polyansky, told Sky News, there is always room for diplomacy, but frankly, we don't trust British diplomacy. I think in recent years British diplomacy has shown that it is absolutely worthless. I really don't want to offend anybody, especially my good friends, British diplomats, but really, the results are nothing to boast about. The Prime Minister will have a telephone conversation with President Putin as talks continue in a bid to find a diplomatic solution to the situation on the Ukrainian border, where US intelligence estimates 130,000 troops have massed. But Mr Polyansky says the situation is being overblown by the West. Now it's already 130,000 he said. I see that inflation is very high these days, it was 100,000 yesterday. I don't know where they take these figures from and we have absolutely no trust in the intelligence data from the US and from the UK. I think this is the same intelligence that claims that Saddam Hussein possesses the weapons of mass destruction. The hysteria doesn't stop, it's absolutely happening in the heads of Western politicians and not really on the ground. President Biden has claimed that trying to predict President Putin's motives is like reading tea leaves and that even his own deputies don't know what his plans are. But Mr. Polyansky says the US and its allies are willfully blind to his intentions. If you close your eyes, of course, it's difficult to read anything he said. You will not be able to read any book with your eyes closed. It's up to our American friends whether to open these eyes or to remain comfortably numb. The US maintains that the door to diplomacy is still open but that, first, tensions must be calmed. We are ready if the Russians are willing to continue down the path of diplomacy and dialogue in good faith State Department spokesman Ned Price said, but, if it is to be effective, has to take place in the context of de-escalation. We are equally ready. However, if the Russians determine that they are set on the path of further and renewed aggression. Argentina furious at surge in UK military flights over Falklands, 
Brazil dragged into row. The South American country's ambassador to Brazil, Daniel Siley, has complained to the Brazilian Foreign Ministry about the unusual air traffic between the British Overseas Territory and the continent's largest country. Argentina's government detected seven British military flights connecting the Falkland Islands and Brazil between January 4 and 28, local media reports. According to the details seen by Argentine Daily La Nation, the planes took off from Rio de Janeiro, São Paulo and Porto Alegre with five of the seven flights round trips. The news has raised alarm bells in Buenos Aires about possible consent from Brazil towards Britain's military presence in the South Atlantic. RAF Mount Pleasant is a Royal Air Force station based in East Falkland. It was opened by Prince Andrew in 1985 to boost the territory's defence after the 1982 war over the islands which Argentina lays claim to and calls Islas Malvinas. Argentina insists the islands are subject to an illegal occupation which began on 3 January 1833, when, it says, the UK used its forces to expel legitimately constituted Argentine authorities. A diplomatic source told La Nation, to allow this frequency of flights means to accept as something normal a military base in the region. In a note to Pedro Miguel Costa e Silva, Secretary for Bilateral and Regional Negotiations in the Americas, Mr. Siley says, Argentina will appreciate that the Brazilian government tries to restrict the granting of permits for British military aircraft coming from or bound for the Malvinas Islands, only in strictly humanitarian cases. La Nation reports that in a flight on 21 January, a Boeing C-17 Globemaster III military transport aircraft landed at Porto Alegre Airport to refuel and left for the Falkland Islands less than 24 hours later. It came two days after the Argentine Foreign Ministry rejected the British military deployment in the South Atlantic. Buenos Aires has also complained about the installation of a new generation air defense system called Sky Sabre which Argentina's foreign ministry described as an unjustified show of force which distanced the UK from the search for a peaceful solution to the sovereignty dispute over the Falkland Islands. La Nation claims that the expansion of Britain's weapons capability in the South Atlantic contravenes two UN General Assembly resolutions which urge states to recognise the region as a zone of peace and also call on Argentina and the UK to negotiate sovereignty instead of taking unilateral action. Brazil is used as a base for humanitarian flights to the Falkland Islands, according to diplomatic sources, with neighbouring Uruguay often used as an arrival point for ships supplying the British overseas territory. However, the volume of military flights in the last month caught the attention of the Argentine authorities, who expressed their concern to Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro's government on Monday, La Nation reports. Iran's nuclear program too advanced now to restore 2015 deal, U.S. officials say. Iran has advanced its nuclear program so much since the Trump administration pulled out of a deal with the country in 2018 that it is now too late to bring back the original terms of the pact, the Wall Street Journal reports. 
U.S. officials cited by the journal have said a race is on to secure a new deal with Tehran, otherwise Washington will be powerless to respond to any sudden nuclear build-up. One of the major concerns, according to the report, is the breakout period that Iran would need to develop fuel for a bomb. The 2015 pact that was scrapped by former President Trump was based on a breakout period of about 12 months, during which time the US and other Western powers would be able to respond. But Iran has picked up the pace so much that the breakout period is now down to only a few weeks, according to US officials. As we have said, we have only a few weeks to conclude an understanding after which the pace of Iran's nuclear advances will make return to the Jkboa impossible a State Department spokesperson said of the deal, officially called the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Russia was making fake Ukrainian attack video to justify its own invasion, US says. Russian intelligence has been working to create a fake video of an attack on Russia's own forces to justify invading Ukraine. U.S. intelligence officers said Thursday. The U.S. hopes to foil the plan by making it public. With the video of a staged military maneuver, actors playing dead, and authentic Ukrainian military equipment, Russia planned to accuse Ukraine of attempting genocide against Russian-speaking people as a pretext for its own invasion or intervention on behalf of Russian separatists in eastern Ukraine who have been fighting the Ukrainian government for more than eight years. Ned Price, a State Department spokesperson, said, the production of this propaganda video is one of a number of options that the Russian government is developing as a fake pretext to initiate and potentially justify military aggression against Ukraine. Vladimir Putin has amassed more than 100,000 on the Ukrainian border and experts say a military invasion is imminent. The Russian military has already engaged in disinformation campaigns in Ukraine. The US is negotiating a shorter, weaker Iran deal, analysis. The American rhetoric surrounding the Iran deal has gotten progressively less assertive since talks resumed in Vienna. When the incipient Biden administration originally spoke about negotiating with Iran, the key words were longer and stronger implying that Secretary of State Antony Blinken sought a tougher Iran deal that would last past the 2015 Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action's 2030 expiration date. The goal was then quietly downgraded to putting Iran back in the box meaning a return to compliance with the Jkboa. That agreement kept Iran a year from nuclear breakout by limiting Iran's uranium enrichment to 3.67% purity and almost eliminating its stockpile of the fuel for a nuclear weapon, while gradually lifting sanctions on the regime. Now, the US is aiming even lower than that. Iran is currently enriching uranium to 60% with some experts saying they are weeks away from weapons-grade 90% enriched uranium. Weaponization meaning, turning the fuel into a nuclear bomb would take more time. But the Jkboa is focused on uranium, and any deal would, in theory, extend the time it takes Iran to reach 90% enrichment. 
U.S. officials concluded late last year that Iran had advanced its nuclear program too far to be kept a year away from breakout, the Wall Street Journal reported on Thursday. That means that negotiations have been going on for over a month with the West knowing that Iran cannot be put back in the proverbial box, and a real return to the Jkboa with its many shortcomings is not possible. When Blinken said earlier this month that it's really now a matter of weeks where we determine whether or not we can return to mutual compliance with the agreement the American assessment already was that they cannot, in fact, fully return to mutual compliance with the agreement. When a senior State Department official briefed reporters this week saying, we only have a handful of weeks left to get a deal, after which point it will, unfortunately, be no longer possible to return to the Jkboa and to recapture the non-proliferation benefits that the deal provided for us the official knew that they already would not be able to recapture the non-proliferation benefits in full. Instead, the journal says, the Biden administration is deliberating how short an Iranian breakout time they are willing to tolerate, based on how much enriched uranium and related machinery Iran agrees to eliminate or seal in exchange for lifting most Trump-era sanctions. If breakout time is less than six months, it could enable Iran to quickly accelerate its nuclear program while impeding Washington's response. Plus, Iran's expertise with advanced centrifuges the deployment of which the Jkboa prohibited until 2026 is something that cannot be rolled back. Iran has said over the last year's negotiations that it will not agree to the destruction of its advanced centrifuges, which allow it to enrich uranium faster than with earlier generation centrifuges. The timing of the assessment that the flagship aim of the Jkboa cannot be attained appears to coincide with the departure of U.S. Special Envoy for Iran Rob Malley's deputy, Richard Nephew. Nephew, a sanctions expert, departed over differences in approach with Malley, seeking a firmer American stance. According to a report in the journal earlier this month, one of the areas on which Nephew and Mali disagreed was the point at which Iran's nuclear advancements render the Jkboa no longer relevant. In fact, Nephew thought the American team should have walked away from the talks in December, when Iran launched IR-6 advanced centrifuges at its underground facility in Fordow while refusing to negotiate from the point at which talks had left off in May. The senior State Department official seemed to confirm the differences in opinion when asked about Nephew in his briefing this week, saying, The team presents a wide range of policy options and arguments to the senior-most leadership of our government, but at the end of the day, the Iran team implements the policies that the President, Secretary of State, the National Security Advisers and others in the Cabinet have decided on. This is not a matter of person, it's a matter of what the policy of the administration is. Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Senator Robert Menendez, D. New Jersey, expressed similar concerns this week, calling on the Biden administration to enforce existing U.S. sanctions and encourage the EU to reimpose Jkboa sanctions, and come up with creative diplomatic initiatives and new strategies for rolling back Iran's nuclear program and addressing its dangerous and nefarious activities. 
We are not dealing with a good faith actor here Menendez said. Iran's consistent obfuscation, continual stalling and outlandish demands have left us flying blind, especially when it comes to verifying that Iran is not engaged in activities related to the weaponization process. I have yet to hear any parameters of longer or stronger terms or whether that is even a feasible prospect. Not only is Menendez right that a longer and stronger deal does not seem to be on the way, but every indication is that at this point, the US is negotiating a deal that is going to be shorter and weaker. Iran, Russia aid Venezuela in moving troops to Colombian border. Colombia's Defense Minister Diego Molano claimed foreign interference by Iran and Russia is at play in South America. Venezuela is moving troops to the border with Colombia with technical assistance from Russia and Iran, Colombia's Defense Minister Diego Molano said on Thursday, calling the possible deployment foreign interference. Molano, citing intelligence sources, said troop movements were registered in Venezuela opposite Colombia's Aralca province, the scene of fierce fighting between guerrillas of the National Liberation Army, ELN, and FARC dissidents for control of the drugs trade. Venezuela's government did not immediately respond to a request for comment. We know that men and units of the FANP have been mobilized towards the border with technical assistance from Russia and Iran Molano said at an anti-drugs conference in Colombia's Caribbean city of Cartagena. FANB is the Spanish acronym of Venezuela's National Bolivarian Armed Forces. Colombia's human rights ombudsman has reported that clashes between the illegal armed groups in Aralca left 66 dead and 1,200 displaced people in January alone. Fighting between the groups over control of drug trafficking and other illicit economies began in Venezuela's Apure state, and spread to Colombia, Molano said. The ELN has teamed up with the Segunda Marquetalia, a faction of the demobilized Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, FARC, who reject a 2016 peace deal with the government, to fight another FARC dissident group, he added. The violence in Aralca, a key area for oil production and cattle rearing, continues despite orders from Colombia's President Ivan Duke in early January for more troops to be deployed there to take control of the territory and end the bloodshed. The Colombian government accuses Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro of sheltering both FARC dissidents and the ELN, something he has repeatedly denied. Last year Maduro said his government would combat all manner of illegal armed groups originating from Colombia in Venezuelan territory during 2022. Boris Johnson is not in control, and resignations leave him more exposed. There is only one question being asked in Westminster right now, what is going on in Downing Street? When I put it to one of Boris Johnson's senior allies, their response was simple, the Prime Minister is under siege. They pointed to the series of chaotic resignations from number 10 over the space of a few hours. They pointed to the growing signs of splits in Cabinet, with Mr Johnson's backers infuriated by the Chancellor Rishi Sunak's decision to distance himself from the PM at a Downing Street news conference. They pointed, as well, 
to major crises against which all of this is playing out, turmoil in Northern Ireland, the risk of war in Ukraine and living costs soaring. Whatever this is, Boris Johnson is not in control. The four resignations from Downing Street on Thursday may have different reasons behind them, but they have one thing in common, each one leaves the man at the centre of this crisis more exposed. Boris Johnson had promised a shake-up of the number 10 operation in the wake of the Sue Gray report, but what happened tonight doesn't look like that. This has an air of chaos. The general public most likely won't know who these people are. But losing four key members of staff in a few hours is massively destabilizing for the government at a time when the PM is already in very hot water. Munira Mirza was a key ally of Mr. Johnson. She worked with him since 2008, in City Hall, and then came back to be head of policy when he became Prime Minister in 2019. She resigned because she said she cannot in good conscience stay by his side given the remarks he made about Jimmy Savile and Sir Keir Starmer. On Thursday morning the Prime Minister gave a clarification, but what Ms Mirza clearly wanted was an apology. With that, she left Downing Street, which was a genuine shock because she's been such a loyal ally for 14 years. Hours after key adviser and head of policy Ms Mirza announced she couldn't stay on in number 10 because the PM couldn't bring himself to apologise for making a slur against the leader of the opposition, Jack Doyle confirmed he was quitting as director of communications. He cited the terrible strain on his family life in recent weeks in relation to the Partygate allegations. I understand he offered his resignation to Boris Johnson last year at the same time Allegra Stratton felt she had to quit, but the PM urged him to stay on. Mr Doyle made it clear to staff that his decision to go was not linked to Ms Mirza's departure, and he's certainly been in a difficult situation in No. 10, having been publicly linked to at least one event being investigated by the Metropolitan Police. He perhaps decided now was the time to go. One ally tells me that in the case of Mr Doyle there are complexities around the parties, but in the case of Ms Mirza they said, I agree with her. I believe the Prime Minister should have apologised over his comments about Jimmy Savile. Less than two hours later, Chief of Staff Dan Rosenfield and Martin Reynolds, the Prime Minister's private secretary, effectively the most senior official advising the Prime Minister, were both gone. Mr Reynolds was the man who sent the Bring Your Own Booze email, but has now been moved to work at the Foreign Office. Downing Street said the PM has accepted the resignation of Mr Rosenfield and Mr Reynolds, and that recruitment for both posts is underway. It might be that the Prime Minister tries to present the replacement of his inner circle as the beginnings of a shake-up, a clear-out. But the manner in which it's happening suggests a Prime Minister that is not in control. Resignations coming out of the blue late into a Thursday evening. But don't forget the context of this, since the Grey Report was published on Monday, Mr Johnson has been trying desperately to shore up his administration. 
there's been a big whipping operation to get his supporters shouting in the Commons chamber and cheering him on via the airwaves. On Thursday, he used an interview with The Sun to insist he was staying on as Prime Minister and was determined to fight the next election. But in the evening, the operation around him looked to be in free fall. His party will be looking on, thinking that the PM needs to get a grip, but they can see he's not getting a grip nor changing his behaviour. Which begs the question, do MPs think it's time for us to go in? They may now be looking to signals from cabinet ministers. Earlier in the week, Dominic Raab described the remarks by the PM about Jimmy Savile as the cut and thrust of Parliament, trying to defend him. But on Thursday evening, we saw from Rishi Sunak a politician not trying to defend the PM. Asked about Munira Mirza's resignation, the Chancellor said, she was a valued colleague, I very much enjoyed working with her. I'll miss working with her. With regards to the comment, I'll be honest, I wouldn't have said it. The Chancellor clearly distanced himself from the comments of his boss. He was not overtly disloyal by actually verbally saying that he didn't support the PM. But often in politics what you don't say tells us a lot. The fact he didn't give unqualified support and try and defend him tells us everything we need to know about how Mr Sunak is positioning himself, and suggests the rifts are deepening. One of Mr Johnson's allies said the Chancellor's comments were very unhelpful. But whatever the interpretations, another day of chaos makes it hard to see this as anything other than an example of the PM's moral authority with both MPs and Cabinet draining away. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast we thank you for your support. We hope to see you again next time.